Hey guys, Joe Wolverton, Teacher of Liberty here, back with you today, and I am so excited today. I am doing, oh my goodness, one of my, one of my favorites. So remember how I told you I'm going to try to alternate between American history and world history? So we just did the Constitution, so we're going to do some world history today. We're going to do, oh my goodness, literally have goosebumps because we're going to talk about my man Demosthenes today. Demosthenes, oh my goodness. He is one of my favorites. Once we get into it, you're going to find out why. Uh, before, though, we get into Demosthenes, I want to give a big shout out to the Henry's Rebellion. Uh, some Well, one of them has been a student of mine, uh, and these this group are going to be students of mine starting on Thursday. And Henry's Rebellion sent me this cool pen with the cool little like stylus tip. I wanted to give a big thank you to them. And if you're in Clinton, Missouri, I guess it's Henry County, Missouri. If you're there and you are a friend of Liberty, you probably want to look these guys up. Uh, it's for it's for homeschool kids, yeah. Don't don't be bringing your public school nonsense up in there. But this is brilliant, and I'm very great. I mean, send me a pen. What are you, you going to do? You know, I'm um I'm I love it. Um, and about Demosthenes, I wanted to point out that I think I can't remember how many years ago now. She probably can. One of my former students, one of the first ones that when I uh, started teaching at uh, the, the high school where I finished teaching, one of the first people that really caught on to what was going on and, and, and um, you know, understood why I was teaching how I was, that it was just me, it wasn't some kind of, you know, technique or anything, uh, and that's Victoria smith who man just what a great family and everything anyway she studied the classics in uh, college and she i think it was her freshman year and you can correct me in the comments victoria but i think it was her freshman year and i believe it was her uh professor judson herman who edited this uh volume of demosthenes selected speeches from demosthenes and i'm gonna tell you i you know have read it I didn't mark this one. I, I have several copies of Demosthenes' speeches. I didn't mark this one because it's special to me. Uh, but just one of those things, it's like, man, you know how much someone knows you, how well someone knows you. In the, I mean, come on, Demosthenes. And this is, you know, it has the Greek and the English. Come on. I mean, and so I still have it. And it looks like it was, like, bought yesterday because I... I keep it on the shelf. I only took it off to show this because it's super special to me. And it will, you know, I don't let anyone flip through it. I mean, I have, like I say, I, you know, read through it because it's got some really good scholarly notes. But that's a gift from one of my great friends in the world, former student Victoria Smith. So thank you, Victoria, for that. For Demosthenes, the one that I do read and do, I mean, you, you can tell the difference. <laughs> yep, this looks like it's been, you know, looks like I found it washed up on shore after a typhoon or something it's it looks pretty bad it's pretty pretty rough pages well marked up and and yeah you can see that that's that's been through some stuff right but that's the copy we'll be using today um anyway so thank y'all for subscribing please continue to do that share this I think this is going to be one of those ones that you want to share of course I thought that with the constitution one and it I don't know, maybe some of y'all haven't watched it yet, but I was really proud of that one. It's one of those ones that 
man, could make such a difference if people understood those little things. And, and I'm always, I'm comforted by the fact that it's not my opinion. I don't have to worry about that. Someone's going, oh, that's it. Just that guy's opinion. Who cares? Because it, it isn't my opinion. It's, it's, you know, demonstrable fact of what these words mean and that they use them particularly and, and how that could change things so quickly if we understood that and, you know, if we could make America states again. And I, I really, I'm surprised that, that one wasn't more popular. But if you haven't watched that one, please go back and watch it and share it. We're getting ever closer to a thousand. I'm hopeful that, see, this is going to run on Thursday. I'm hopeful that by the following Tuesday, we have that thousand and that uh, I can give away that Library of Liberty. I'm really excited to, I'm literally, it's like, you know, one of those better to give than to receive. I'm really excited to give away that little library. And it's only, I don't know how many books this is, maybe four books or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm really excited to give it away. And I'm really excited to get a discount code from Liberty Fund for y'all that really care about this stuff. You know what I mean? And so that you can get these books, get them at a discount. Liberty Fund gives out discounts. If you go, if you're on Instagram, uh, you follow their Instagram account, they will occasionally have a, a discount code for you. But if I can get a thousand subscribers, we can get a discount code and just be, I mean, when I was teaching, I had a discount code. Gosh, I think when I was teaching, they gave us like, like a third off or, or 50% off. It was something crazy like that. So if we can get up to a thousand on here, so keep sharing this and, and everything. And, uh, anyway, let's talk about Demosthenes, shall we? So Demosthenes lived, you know, around, you know, 300 BC, uh, Philip II of Macedon, a.k.a. Philip the Barbarian, for my OGs out there who know what I'm talking about. Uh, Philip the Barbarian, Philip the Barbarian. Uh, yeah, so if you've ever watched the Alexander the Great movie with, I think it's Richard Burton playing Alexander the Great, when he comes down the stairs in that shimmery man skirt, like looks like prom, like, you know, like a debutante ball or something. Alexander with his feathered hair and his shimmery man dress and in that his dad of course is philip the second of macedon and he gets all drunk and he does a dance about how the athenians call him a barbarian because barbarian do y'all know what barbarian means so barbarian and we still use that in our language barbarian means speaker of the barbar language because to athenians who were really proud of themselves for being athenians Anybody who had a different dialect of Greek or a different accent, they called them a barbarian because they said all their languages like bar, 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 bar. So they called him a barbarian, a barbarian. And so Philip, who was Greek but not Athenian, they called him Philip the Barbarian. And so one night he's camped outside of Athens ready to take to defeat the army of of Athens and he's getting all drunk and doing a dance Philip the Barbarian making fun of you know the how the Athenians see him anyway if you see the movie Alexander the Great which I own and I'm not ashamed of it because if for nothing else than the sartorial splendor of that movie to watch Richard I think it's Richard Burton plays Alexander the Great when he descends those stairs in that shimmery, almost sequined man dress, and his hair is perfectly coiffed with enough hairspray to probably burn down my my house, 
and my neighborhood, let's be honest. It, it's And his eyeshadow, his, his manscara. I'm telling you, it's a marvel of makeup and sartorial splendor. Two thumbs up for Alexander the Great starring. I don't know, it's from the 50s, I think. Anyway, it's probably, I know they have it on uh, Amazon Prime for purchase. And, and I purchased it, and I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, but if you wanted to give it, you know, just dip a toe in the water, maybe they let you watch a couple of minutes, and you can see what I mean. So, Philip II, Philip the Barbarian, he, uh, the father of Alexander the Great, as I said, he had eyes on conquering all of Greece, and he set about doing that. Uh, he would say and do anything to convince the leaders of the various Greek city-states to accept him, uh, to peacefully accept him. And once they were drawn in by his speeches and his promises of equality and liberality and all this, he would snatch down on their liberty and he would destroy them and he would take their stuff and he would build a bigger army and enslave them and everything. And he would just take total tyrannical control. He was smooth-talking veteran, pretended to be a man of the people, you know the M.O. by now, right, of tyrants. Surely you know the M.O. of tyrants by now, right? We've gone over it so many times. But as all of this made Philip II the prototypical tyrant to our founding fathers, if you go and read their letters and their speeches and their essays and their books, you will see that when it comes to talking about a tyrant, they talk about Philip of Macedon. They thought that guy is the prototypical, the model, the arch tyrant. If you want to be a tyrant, that's the guy who shows you how to do it because he would come in like a lamb and just take off that sheep's clothing and tear into you like every wolf ever would. And he was just to them. You can't read Anything they write about tyranny and liberty without reading about Philip II of Macedon. And uh, so he, I mean, look it up. You can go look for yourself. Um, it might be in the Federalist Papers. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure Philip gets mentioned in the Federalist Papers. I, I, would, I wouldn't bet the farm on it, but I'd come close to betting the farm on it. I don't have a farm, but if I did, I'd bet it on it. Or might, maybe like a barn. I'll bet a barn. Hey, I will bet two, two, three bales of hay that in the Federalist Papers they mention Philip of Macedon. Now, he was on the march and wanted to take over Athens. He had crushed or co-opted and about to crush all these cities heading toward Athens from the north down. Now, there were some people in Athens, cough, cough, Isocrates, cough, cough, who was like, look, now, Socrates, some of his speeches are also awesome. I love reading my man's speeches in defense of liberty. When it comes to reading his stuff on Philip, it's so cringe. Because he's like, he tells the Athenians, look, guys, here's the deal. We cannot beat him. Would you rather have a Greek king or a foreign, read, Persian emperor rule over you? He's like, as for me... I'd rather have Philip, who's Greek and has, 
our same traditions, our same language, our same religion. I'd rather him rule over us than the Persian emperor. And so Isocrates actually sends letters to Philip. It's, oh my gosh, Isocrates. Brother, if you're listening, Isocrates, wherever you are, uh, first of all, you probably have better things to do to listen to this podcast. That's just me to you, brother to brother. Second, please tell me, you know, if someday we meet, you know, in the great yonder, I hope you're like, dude, I'm with you, bro. Those letters I wrote to Philip are so cringe because they are. Dear Philip, first of all, let me tell you that your dancing is sublime. Second, I heart you. Third, welcome to Athens, LOL. You know, it's all cringe. Your speech is on liberty, my man, Isocrates. Nothing but love for you, baby. I got nothing but love for you, girl. Whatever. Anybody who gets that reference, you get a special prize. I don't know what it is. Probably my, probably my respect. Big ups to you. I got nothing but love for you, baby. I got nothing but love for you. Yeah, whatever. But Isocrates, really, those letters to Philip. And I think they're just called in history to Philip. And it's like, it really is. It's like, you're such a good general and your armies are so awesome. And I just think you're the greatest. Why don't you come down and rule over us? To be all th- oh, man. It just, it just doesn't feel good to read his like speeches, be like, yeah. And then to read his letters to Philip and be like, Socrates, man, fangirl much. But I get it. He's like, look, we're going to lose. Spoiler alert, they did. We're going to lose. So would you rather have Philip, a Greek, or would you rather have a Persian emperor who's, you know, not going to be one of us? Well, cue Demosthenes. Demosthenes about 33 years old never you know you you know he wasn't allowed you had to speak according to your age and Demosthenes being 33 was really young now like we've said before I know that literally everybody it seemed not literally practically everybody is like back in then if you were 34 you were ancient no you weren't if you made it past 10 years old if you made it past the diseases of childhood you were going to be just live the life like you live today, you know, 70s, 80s, right? So being 33, my man was not old, okay? Matter of fact, he, at the beginning of his career in the assembly in Athens, he hardly ever got to speak because he was so young, and they spoke in order of seniority, unless somebody's like, yeah, I don't have anything to say. Then eventually they'd get to him. But this was a man full of patriotic zeal, uh, He developed a gift for speaking, and he argued that surrendering to Philip would be surrendering the soul of Athens, and it would make a mockery of the sacrifices of their ancestors who rid Athens of tyrants and established liberty. That should sound familiar to some of us, all of us, except I notice there's some of you listening in Switzerland. Hey, Switzerland. Oh, in Lithuania. Hey, Lithuania. It's probably just a a VPN, but I like to pretend that it really is someone there. I know it's some dude in like Utah with a VPN, but I pretend that you're really in Switzerland and really in Lithuania. I don't know how to speak Lithuanian, 
I don't even know if that's a language. I'm going to be honest with you. Switzerland, I've, I've lived there. I know y'all speak where I was, a German. So, guten Abend. Guten Abend, Schweiz. Guten Abend. Ich heiße Joey, right? Any road. Everybody's like, that guy speaks terrible German. Oh, yeah, well, you don't speak it at all. So there. Now the Swiss people are going to be like, dear Joey, you should not speak the German on your podcast. It sounds very stupid. And now they're going to be like, why would you make fun of our accents? That's not really cool, Joey. Anywho, Demosthenes was like, no, I am not just going to sit here and say, oh, well, there's only two choices. Be ruled by a Persian emperor. Be ruled by a, a Greek tyrant. Demosthenes is like, no. That's a big, just spitting on the graves of our ancestors who died to, to get rid of tyrants, who died so that we could be born free. And he's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Demosthenes ended up making a series of speeches against Philip in many ways. He would either speak... Now, he has these ones called Philippics. Now, you should be, if you've been watching the podcast, if you've been keeping up with it, you know Philippics. I'm not going to say how you should know, but if you put it in the comments, I will mention you next time. Why? How you already know that Demosthenes called his speeches the Philippics. How did, how did you already know that? Because of something I already talked about in a past podcast. But... um. So these are called the Philippics, right? He made a series of speeches against Philip, and they're just called the Philippics, first, second, third, fourth, all that, like that. But he also made speeches when towns around Athens would send to Athens and say, Oi, can y'all help us? Philip's coming. And so Demosthenes would get up at the assembly and say, Hey, we just got this letter, uh, you know, just saw this tweet from Olynthus." Hashtag we finna die. I think maybe we should do something about that. So he called them like after the city, right? On Karenis, uh, the Olynthiacs, the ones about Olynthus, anywhere like that. He made a bunch of speeches. And then when there was a proposed peace, he's like, mm mm, I'm not going to get, yeah, let's just have peace. Peace at any cost. No, no, not peace at any cost. Not peace at the cost of our liberty. Not peace at the cost of making a mockery of the sacrifice of our ancestors? No. No. And so he has a speech, and I'm going to read you a little bit of it, on the piece where he's like, nope, not going to stand here and be like, yeah, that's cool, let's just declare, you know. So anyway, uh, they are straight fire. Every one of his speeches, guys, they are straight, oh, they are just straight fire. Read them. I would recommend the lobe on this one. Just because it has all of them and it has some of the lesser known ones, straight fire. Uh, has good footnotes. The, the Cambridge one has amazing footnotes and it has the Greek and the English. Um, but I wanted to, I mean, the thing is, they're filled with straight fire and they're filled with observations, with statements that sound all too familiar Some. 2300 years later now I don't know if y'all are like me but I get tired of saying these things happened just like this 2300 years ago and they sound so familiar I'm really tired of saying that 
Look at what Trenchard and Gordon wrote 300 years ago that sounds like it could have happened yesterday. I'm really sick of saying that. That's why when someone is like, history repeats itself, I want to, I want to throat punch him. I want to throat punch him so bad. And then when they say, why'd you throat punch me, Joey? I'm like, you know why. And then walk away after I kick him again. But walk away nonetheless. But the only way, guys, that we're ever going to stop, I don't want grandkids that are like, you know, who a teacher and he's like 20 or great grandkids. I don't know. Let's just say three generations, 2,400 years and the same thing still happened. I don't want that. I want us to stop now. And the only way we do this is by teaching these things again. We have got to start reading to students and having students read Demosthenes. Okay, instead of the nonsense that we have students read today. I'm talking, now I'm not talking high school or college. Our founding fathers, 10, 11 years old. We're being taught to read this in Greek. I'm giving us a pass and saying, let's just do it in English. I think the Greek and Latin ship has sailed for most people. I think you should learn it. I think you should be taught that, right? But I'm saying a good compromise, a powerful you know, compromise that doesn't cost much is read these speeches. Have They're so much better than anything. Look, all due respect to lots of people whose famous speeches we read, they don't even, they, they don't even come close. Seriously, this is the varsity squad and the stuff we read as good as it is. We're talking JV at best, right? If this is the major leagues, this I'm telling you, you don't believe me, read his stuff. The speeches that we read in school, if Demosthenes is the major leagues, the speeches we read are single A, sometimes cracking through to double A, sometimes. A lot of times, even single A, they're striking out a lot. Demosthenes, man, Major League, just one hit after the other, just seriously, just cracking them out the out the ballpark, y'all. We got to and there's no hope of not repeating these things unless we stop the behavior that has led us to repeat these things. And the behavior is we gave away our education to strangers. And don't tell me that you know your te- your student's teacher, because you don't. You don't. You know you don't. Where'd he go to college? Where'd he grow up? What's he think politically? What does he think? What church does he go to? Right? Who's his favorite author? Do you know all that? Do you have him over to the house? Because guess what? He knows something and you do too. That regardless of whatever relationship you have with your teacher, he knows every two weeks that money's getting direct deposited. And you know that every day you can have eight hours to go to work or or to get rid of the kids. We got to stop that. We got to stop that. And the way we do it is by getting these things read again to our kids. 
And because they, I'm telling you, man, I've had the experience. You know, you're supposed to testify of what you have seen and heard. Well, I'm testifying to you. I have myself poured this old wine in new bottles, and I have seen the effect. I can testify of what I've seen and heard, guys. And I have seen teenagers get so impassioned about principles of liberty from these old books and these old speeches and all these things that we don't teach anymore. I saw one of my students, I cried one day because I saw a student get on her desk with and knew that I wouldn't say anything about that. Get on her desk and start saying things from speeches that we hadn't studied. But she felt the same spirit that inspired that man in history to make that speech inspired that young woman to get on her desk and declaim against those who were taking the side of the tyrant. I've seen it. You want, and it is not me. Do you understand? I'm not sitting here and if you know me, and I hope you, anybody who didn't know me before you started watching this podcast, you know me well enough now. I'm not sitting here saying, I'm just the greatest teacher. I'm not saying that. I'm a good teacher. I know that. I say that because to deny that would be an insult to God who gave me that gift. So, yes, I'm a good teacher, but, you know, it's the message, man, not the messenger. And if y'all want to have this transformative experience in your classrooms, in your living rooms, get into this stuff that I teach. Don't just, I mean, yes, I love that you watch the podcast. I'm, I love that so much. Watch it and pass it around and get people to subscribe and let's do all those things. But what I'd prefer is if you're like, okay, well, let's go read Cicero's Philippics. Let's go read Demosthenes' Philippics. Let's read the, the whole political catechism by Mariah Pinckney. Let's read all that. Let's go get Cato's letters. You can get them for free, man, on the internet. Nothing that I, nothing that I share with you do you have to pay to read. I'd like you to build a little library for yourselves, for your children, for your grandchildren. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. But I'm saying, if you do, what a great patrimony that would be to hand down, right? What a great legacy to say, I can't, you know, what is that, guys and dolls? I can't stake you to a, I can't stake you to a, a, a big stack, but what I can stake you to is a little knowledge. I can give you a little knowledge. I got this library here, and it's all yours, you know? Much more valuable than money, you know? So, I, nothing that I teach or nothing I share with y'all in these podcasts doesn't require you to spend any money. You can get it all for free online. And I would love if you, and if, and I'm going to tell you, the reason I'm telling you this is because we have to have several of these little brush fires of liberty started. You see what I'm saying? It's not enough, the ones I taught, because some of them have fallen away. Because the world teaches you otherwise, and it teaches you to forget. And don't forget that there is an enemy of righteousness. There is an enemy of liberty that does not want these things being taught, does not want these things being shared, does not want you printing off these things from the internet and having your kids read them or reading them to your kids until they, and talking to them about it. 
How'd school go? Fine. Okay, dinner's in two hours. Go do your homework. Okay. Can I eat in my room? Yes. We ain't gonna get it done like that, y'all. And I'm sorry, and you can unsubscribe if that message offends you, because that's the message I'm gonna repeat until they find my body in some field somewhere, because I'm gonna be the last man, the last foxhole, y'all. And so, I'm gonna repeat that message. We're not gonna get it done. And you'll see Demosthenes 2,300 years ago calling out the Athenians for that same thing. If you want different results, we got to follow a different plan because the plan we've been following has not worked out for us. Same now. Um, I want to read to you a little bit about Plutarch. Plutarch wrote, and you want to read something nice, y'all. Plutarch's biography, this is my old, again, you can see, man, this, this thing's been repaired, man. Look at that. Look at that. Joey repaired it because this is my favorite uh, edition. I don't know what year this is. What year is this, Joseph? I don't know, man. Printed, nah, they probably don't even say the year, you know what I mean? Or if it did, I've I've torn out the page that said the year. I don't know, it doesn't say the year. But anyway, it's old, you know what I'm saying? It's an old copy. Random House, it doesn't say the year. It usually says the year, you know what I mean? But it doesn't. But anyway, he has a biography. Why did I go off on that? That's like three minutes of it. Anyway, he has a biography of Demosthenes. I wanted to read a little bit to you of the biography of Demosthenes as uh, written by Plutarch, uh, because I want this to encourage some of y'all, because some of you are like, you know, I'd like to play a role in the, you know, restoration of our liberty, but I don't have these natural talents. Now, I could say some things to you, like maybe you've heard of Moses, right? You heard of Moses, uh, not a good speaker. Enoch in the Bible, not a good speaker. The book of Enoch, he's like, I, I just don't have what it takes, you know, and for Moses, God gave him a spokesman, Aaron, right, his brother. But for Enoch, God just says, get out there and make it happen, Captain. And he did. But I want, So I want to read, for those of you who think, I just don't have what it takes, I'm going to read to you what Plutarch says about Demosthenes. It says, but when he first addressed himself to the people, he met with discouragement and was derided for his strange and uncouth style which was cumbered with long sentences and tortured with formal arguments to a most harsh and disagreeable excess. Besides, he had, it seems, a weakness in his voice, a perplexed and indistinct utterance, and a shortness of breath, which, by breaking and disjointing his sentences, much obscured the sense and the meaning of what he spoke, so that in the end he became quite disheartened. So he would... he pretty much was giving up on his career in uh, in politics because people were literally making fun of him uh, we can't understand you because like it says he had a strange style where he tried to sound smart a lot of people have that problem uh, I had that problem in my writing early on I remember one of my editors when I uh, first started writing for the the new American magazine was like Joey this is he called the, my writing turgid, and he was right. If you go back and read my stuff from like 2004, whew, if you go read my stuff from 2010, I'm still struggling with that, you know, that swollen trying to, I know these words, you know what I'm saying? So we had Demosthenes, and he had a weakness in his voice, and it just made it where people were like, I don't, you know, they paid too much attention to how he spoke rather than what he was saying. So he decided, and now, 
later on, he, he overcomes all this. And later on, someone's like, hey, Demosthenes, you know, what did you do to overcome these problems that you had with your stammering and your, 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 your weak voice? What did you do to overcome it? And so Plutarch tells that story, too. He says, uh, the ways he made use uh, to remedy his natural bodily infirmities and defects were these. His art, inarticulate and stammering pronunciation, he overcame and rendered more distinct by speaking with pebbles in his mouth. He would fill his mouth with pebbles and then speak until you could understand. He enunciated so well and spoke so clearly that even with pebbles in his mouth, now not to the point where it was like, not that, but enough that it could encumber your speech. He would do that until you could understand exactly what he's saying. He would learn to enunciate and to strengthen his voice. He would go down by the seashore, put a weight on his chest, and just scream until he was just exhausted, right? Until failure. Isn't that what the, you know, I remember when I used to lift weights, my little trainer would be like, do it till failure. He would scream with this rock on his chest until, until failure, just to get his voice so he could be heard over the waves, right? And he said uh, his voice he disciplined by, decla- by declaiming and reciting speeches or verses while he was out of breath, while running or, or going up steep places. So he would give speeches while he was running so that he could strengthen his voice by speaking when he was out of breath and just by pushing through, right? And it said, um, and that in his house he had a large mirror and he would stand in front of it and go through his speaking exercises. And that, that's, uh, to me, that's something that should be encouraging to some of y'all because I know there are people like, I don't speak well, I don't have a strong voice, I... I'm not impressive when I speak. You can learn. Look, some people are given talent for speaking. That's fair enough. You might not have been given that talent, but you can work on developing that that ability. You can work on that, right? You don't. You may not have been given it by nature, but you can work on it. And so Demosthenes is a good example of that, y'all. It's like you wanna you wanna strengthen something that you really think is important, and you wanna do it but you feel naturally hindered or naturally uh, uh, inadequate, increase your adequacy by practicing. You know, speak with the pebbles in your mouth. Give your speeches when you're out of breath to strengthen your voice, right? Stand in front of a mirror and give your speech. See how you sound. See how you look. Are you doing weird things with your face? You know, um, I do weird things with my face, but I, I don't care, Right. But um, and my hand, I, I learned that I talk a lot with my hands. I don't know. It's not a it's not a very British thing. And I'm like ninety nine percent British. So I don't know where that comes from. But it's, it's something I do. I speak with my hands a lot. But anyway, I mean, that's a good example to me. So you read Plutarch. If you want to know more about him, read Plutarch, uh, Plutarch's biography of Demosthenes in Plutarch's Lives. It's really, really good. And we're just going to start, guys. This is one of my favorite. You're going to find out why. Uh, You know, it's one of those things that uh, you just, 
read these speeches. You're going to see why he's my favorite. Just shut up, Joey. Let's just do this thing. Oh, I did want to tell you, though, something weird. So I follow this Instagram account. I don't know if y'all follow it called Verbus. Y'all don't follow it. Anywho, Verbus Latinus. It's it's an it's about ancient languages and and uh, just mostly about just the ancient world, Greece and Rome. So the day after I chose to do Demosthenes for this podcast, the next day they chose to highlight Demosthenes on their account, which I thought was a sign. Like yes, do Demosthenes, man. So I'm gonna do Demosthenes now. And I will. I will before I get into his actual writing, I wanted to say there is an old famous saying. About Now, Demosthenes is paired with Cicero, you know, parallel lives, right? Plutarch did a Roman and a Greek that he thought were similar, paired them up, right? So Demosthenes, a Greek, is paired with Cicero, a Roman. And there was in the ancient world a saying, and I wanted to read you that saying because you'll see, I, I love me some Cicero, but I love Demosthenes more. And I think this ancient saying sums up why I love Demosthenes more than Cicero, but don't get me wrong. They're both awesome. But the saying was, when Cicero finished speaking, the people declared how well he speaks. But when Demosthenes finished speaking, the people shouted, let us march. That's what we need. Great that you speak well. Great. You know, great that people think I'm a really good teacher. Swell, who cares? That's, that's you know, that's fine. But if things don't change, if when you hear this, if it thinks she's, wow, that guy's a good teacher, that guy's a good speaker, nothing changes. But when Demosthenes finished speaking, the people shouted, let us march. It's another way I've heard people say it is when Cicero finished, people would applaud. And when Demosthenes finished, they'd grab swords. Well, we need some sword grabbers. I, I don't need applause don't care for it, doesn't change me, doesn't make me feel good, never has, doesn't do anything for me at all. Keep the applause, keep your hands, you know, if you're going to be motivated by what I say, I hope it's not motivated to applaud, but motivated to pick up that sword, yeah? All right, let's start. So, this is, uh, I'm going to do with this like I did with Trenchard and Gordon. I'm going to read you some stuff and just talk about it the way I would in class when I taught these things, the way we do in book club, which starts the same night you're see, the same day you're seeing this. Book club starts tonight. Sorry for y'all that didn't get involved. We're doing Plutarch's essays. Oh, my goodness. All right. So we're going to start out with the first Olynthiac. All right. So the first Olynthiac uh, delivered about 349 B.C. OK, just to get that in your head. Delivered about 349 B.C. Uh, sadly, Olynthus fell to Philip a year later. But I'm going to read you some of this. This isn't the whole thing, obviously, but this is a little taste. I want to get you all to where you're like, oh, my goodness, I want to read the whole thing, right? The present crisis. So here we go. Out of the first Olynthiac Demosthenes. And I'm reading out of the Loeb edition, okay? So... I say that because if you're going to get it online and you might get another translation, you might be like, it doesn't say that in mine. Remember the English translation of the Greek. Okay? So you, you're going to get various translations. But they'll all say about the same. Okay? So here we go. First Olynthiac, 349 B.C., Demosthenes. The present, and remember, what's the point? 
liken these things unto ourselves so that it might be for our profit and learning. Knowing this means nothing unless we use it to make a difference in our own world, okay? Knowing that Demosthenes was influential in saving, no, that who cares? We got to use what he did to change our world, okay? All right, here we go. The present crisis, Athenians, calls on you almost with an audible voice to take into your own hands the control of your interests if you're really anxious to safeguard them. Guys, we're in that same crisis. An audible voice calling to us to take into our own hands. We can take it into our own hands what happens if we care to safeguard our homes. It's up to us. It's up to us, right? But there you see, we're in this crisis with him, right? All right. And yet, men of Athens, it's reasonable to suggest that the very thing which makes Philip's position more redoubtable is also most encouraging for you. Now, he's saying the very thing that makes Philip powerful also makes him vulnerable. Now, this reminds me of Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic, who said, the obstacle becomes the way. Now, how would we apply this? Well, I would say, what is it about the current tyrannical government in charge in the United States that makes them at once powerful but vulnerable also? What is it? Think about that. You know, don't just use these things for like little gobbets and and uplifting stories. Use these as a training manual, as a guide to how to wage this war, our own crisis against tyranny. Think of how, because he's saying, think about it. The thing that makes Philip especially powerful also makes him especially vulnerable. What would you think that is about the current tyrannical government? What about them that makes them powerful also makes them vulnerable? Think about that. The eyes of the Olynthians are open to the fact that they are now fighting not for glory, not for a strip of territory, but to avert the overthrow and the enslavement of their fatherland. Guys, I am very much anti-war. Very much anti-war. Because I do not believe in preemptive war. I do not believe in war for the gaining of territory or expansion. But defensive, but we're in a defensive war. We're not fighting for glory or for a strip of territory. We, if we fight now, we're fighting to overthrow, to avert our overthrow and to avert the enslavement of our people. I'm all about that kind of war because we didn't start it, they did. We're not, we're not the insurrectionists, they are. We're not the traitors, they are. I bid you grasp 
these facts, men of Athens. And whenever I say Athens, just say America. I bid you grasp these facts, men of Athens, and weigh well all the important considerations. Make up your minds. Rouse your spirits and put your heart into the war. It's now or never. Guys, weigh well. In Greek, the same. You remember what that word is in Latin? Ponder? Where we get our word pound? Ponder to weigh? Weigh well. The important consider. Weigh what the pros and cons are of letting this government grow bigger, take more of our possessions, tax us at a higher rate, put more regulations on us, force more satanic socialist nonsense into our society. Make up your minds which side you're on but rouse your spirits and put your heart into this fight because it's now or never. Man, you no longer have a shadow of excuse for shirking your duty. Now, guys, here's the thing about this. Once you know these things, you're accountable. And I think that's the reason a lot of people don't like thinking about these things and reading these things and studying these things because it will cause that twinge of conviction knowing that man if I'd just done a what's that that Cato the anti-federalist Cato said if I'd have shown a little wisdom and a little foresight I could prevented my children from wading through seas of blood to restore their liberty. You no longer have a shadow of excuse for shirking your duty. You gotta decide which side you're on, rouse your spirit and get your heart into it. Men of Athens, America, you must not let slip the opportunity that offers, offers, nor make the blunder you have so often made before. Unfortunately, we always neglect the present chance and imagine that the future will right itself. And so, men of Athens, Philip has us to thank for his prosperity. Guys, don't let these opportunities slip by as we have so often done before because we neglect these opportunities thinking the future will take care of itself. So Demosthenes says, why is Philip so successful? Because y'all keep thinking that it'll be okay. We'll be okay. You keep thinking that the future is going to take care of itself. It will not. So you keep kicking the can down the street to the next generation who kicks it to their kids, who kick it to their kids until the point where you can't dig a pond in your yard without permission from the king in the United States of America. You can't build an addition onto your house without going down to the city and asking their permission, getting a license. You can't go throw a line in a lake and get a fish out of that and feed your family 
with a little permission slip from the government for you to fish. You can't go out in the woods, shoot an animal to feed your family unless you get permission from the king first. You can call him whatever you like. You can call him governor. You can call him secretary of the whatever. You can call it the field and game office. You know what? You can call it whatever you like. It's just asking permission of the tyrant. That's all it is. You literally cannot pull a fish out of a pond until the king gives you his permission slip. We've been trading rights for permission for too long now. The future is not going to take care of itself, and we are the reason. The government has grown tyrannical. We, men of Athens, Philip has us to thank for his prosperity. We didn't stop it. We still aren't stopping it. And it, the government gets, grows larger and more intrusive and more destructive every year. Because the future somehow, we always neglect the present chance and imagine that the future will take care of itself. So the tyrant has us to thank men of America for their prosperity. So in national affairs, those who fail to use their opportunities aright fail also to acknowledge the good that the gods have given. For every advantage in the past is judged in the light of the final issue. It is therefore our duty, men of Athens, to keep a careful eye on the future, that by restoring our prosperity, we may erase the discredit of the past. Guys, we, do, we don't have to have our children and grandchildren grow up in such, in the sick society that we all like talk how sick society has grown, how terrible, how tyrannical, how despotic, how destructive, how vile, how wicked, how confused. We don't have to do that. We don't that doesn't have to be what happens. We need to take our opportunities and acknowledge that why are we free in the first place? Because God gave to our fathers opportunities, miracles. If you've never studied about the war for independence and you think it was just France, you don't know the story. Yes, we have a lot to thank France for. Reminds me of that story. It used to make me teary-eyed, but when Blackjack Pershing, General John Blackjack Pershing, landed in France and went right to the grave of Lafayette and said, we're just here to repay the favor. We have a lot to thank the French for, for winning the war for independence. We have a lot more to thank God for winning that war. And he will bless us in like manner with miracles 
Every advantage of the past is, a, is judged in the light of the final issue. When we win, then our children and grandchildren will say, look at the miracles. Look what they were up against. And they did it. And it'll be pictures of us that generations from now people have on their walls and say, oh yeah, that's, that's our founding fathers. But you gotta recognize that if we fail to take these opportunities, then we are failing to acknowledge the good that God has done for us in the past and will do for us again. And if we keep a careful eye and restore our liberty, that will erase so much of the discredit of the past. Our ancestors, our descendants, won't remember. that we let it get this bad if we just stop right now and start turning this thing around. Quit clapping for good speeches and grab that sword. Quit sending your kids to those bloody indoctrination camps where they're taught wrong things day in, day out by strangers. Sacrifice whatever it takes to sacrifice. Imagine reading these things tonight. We wouldn't be in the state we are if those of us today, if people my age had been read these things at nine years old instead of being read Dick and Jane or Encyclopedia Brown or whatever nonsense we were being read to us, to us if we'd have been read this stuff like our ancestors, we would have fought like them. But guess what? It didn't happen, but we can, we can erase the discredit of the past by keeping an eye on the future, by restoring our prosperity, by taking advantage of every opportunity that God gives us. Because he says, men of Athens, ooh, men of Athens, I want you to know and to realize what an expensive game it is to squander your interests one by one. Unless we stop it now, the government will just grow larger and control more and more of our lives and force more and more obedience until they completely control. They will not, guys, you're not going to vote yourself out of tyranny. Mm -mm. You can vote yourself into it, which is what we've done. But you got to fight your way out of it. It's not a happy thought. But it is what it is, guys. You can vote yourself into it. You can't vote yourself out of it. you got to fight your way out of it. And what an expensive game it is to, let, to squander these opportunities. You think taxes are high now. You think the world is sick now. Well, if we don't do anything about it, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. If Philip, if Philip adopts the principle that he ought always to be improving his position, and you adopt the principle of never facing your difficulties with resolution, just reflect 
what is likely to be the end of it all. Oof. Fat oof, as Lauren used to say. He's going to keep doing it. The tyrant, the government's going to keep doing what government does, growing. I don't care what, I don't care which, who you put in the White House, who you, I don't care, R or D or L or whatever letter is behind their name. Government's going to keep growing like it always does. More tyrannical, more tyrannical, more tyrannical. More perverse, more wicked. And it's an expensive game to squander our opportunities. And that's, the government's going to adopt that position, right? The principle of always improving its position. We got to change our principle, which hitherto has been to never face our difficulties resolutely. Whoo, boy. To find fault is easy and is in anyone's power, but it needs a statesman to expound the policy demanded by our present circumstances. Man, anybody. That's why there, all these, I see these, I don't want to mention names because I don't want to be seeing people that, oh, you're just jealous. I ain't jealous of anybody. I'm perplexed at the popularity of some people who just squawk nonsense. I am perplexed by that, by the people that give them popularity, people that I thought were smarter. But, uh, you know, we don't need another person telling us what's wrong. We need people who can say, okay, let's, this is how we're going to fix it. Ultimately, that's why I wrote What Degree of Madness, that book. I don't know which shoulder it's over. I wrote What Degree of Madness because I got tired of people coming to my speeches and they would say, that's a great speech. What are we going to do about it? Um, tyrant. Ty ty tyranny. And they're like, yeah, we get that, buddy. What are we going to do about it? Tyranny. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this criticism and I'm going to do something with it and I wrote that book What Degree of Madness so that to propose and that's all it is it's a book it's 200 pages whatever it is it's just solution it's just like because Demosthenes calling me to account anybody can tell you what's wrong with society literally he says that anybody can tell you what's wrong but it takes a statement a statesman to expound the policy that's going to get us out of our present circumstances. So I wrote that book because Demosthenes called me out. People at my speeches would call me out and say, Swell, thank you for making a good speech, son. You know? All right. But we need statesmen. And that, I'm not calling myself a statesman. Please don't get that twisted. I'm just saying that's why I wrote that book because I was like, yeah, anybody... Anybody could write a book and tell, and anybody could, you know, get on their little podcast or get on their, you know, whatever and, and be like, yeah, this is what's wrong with society, see? Society's six, see? Let me show you this clip of someone saying there's 57 genders, see? We know that, eyebrows. We got you. Yeah, I know that. That's, yep, 
yep, know that. What's the solution? Vote Republican. These people want to outlaw abortion, see? You know what their problem is? They want to outlaw, they take away people's rights, see? What's the solution? Vote Democrats. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate you. Haircuts don't lie, buddy. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Let's go to this uh, first Philippic here. I'm going to I'm gonna have to do a part two on this because I, I like being able to have a little pause after about an hour. So, you know what? Why don't we make a make a pause right here and I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about this first Philippic, okay? All right. Thanks, guys. Be back in just a second like that. All right, guys. We are back. Oh, I should have done like that or something. I don't know. You know how people do. All right. Now we're going to go over the first. So that was the first Olynthiac. I mean, can you see what I'm saying about, come on, if you don't see it now, you're never going to see it, but I want to keep reading this stuff because I know that there are people that will not read these on their own. So now we're going to go to the first Philippic. Uh, This was actually the first time, so this was actually delivered uh, before the uh, first Olynthiac, about three years before that. This is the first time that Demosthenes... Uh, spoke, you know, stood to speak out of order. And he says at the beginning, he's like, uh, I know that I shouldn't be speaking in this order, but I I have to speak up now because what I'm hearing is, is crazy talk, okay? So this is from the first Philippic about 351 BC. Here we go. Now in the first place, men of Athens, so men of America, There is no need to despair our present position, however hopeless it seems. For that which is worst in the days that are past and gone is just what affords us the best assurance for the future. And what is that? It is that your affairs are in this evil plight just because you, men of Athens, have utterly failed to do your duty. Surely you were so placed in spite of every effort on your part. It would be hopeless if you were placed in this position in spite of every effort. It would be hopeless to look for improvement. But bear this in mind. Some of you have been told and others know and remember how formidable the Spartans were not many years ago and how yet at the call of honor and duty you played a part not unworthy of your country and enlisted against them in defense of your rights. I remind you of this, men of Athens, because I want you to know and realize that as no danger can assail you while you're on your guard, if you are remiss, no success can attend you. Strict attention to your affairs must be mastered if we are to learn a lesson from the former strength of the Spartans, which you mastered. Guys, do you hear what he's saying? There is no reason to think that we can't get out of this situation. We have been in bad situations before, and we have got out of them. You know, he says, remember how strong Sparta was? Remember England? They brought the Hessians. They brought the Navy and the Army. They brought them over here. There were more soldiers. There were more British soldiers on board the ships in the harbor at Philadelphia than the entire civilian population of Philadelphia. And 
many of those Philadelphians were royalists. But guess what? We ain't got the queen on our money. The very thing. That which was worst in the days that are past are what affords us the best assurance for the future. We have done this. We are only in the state of affairs we are now because, men of Athens, you have utterly failed to do your duty. Because if we do our duty, then we can do to the tyrant, the domestic tyrant, what we did to that foreign tyrant. We can do it. And what does he say? Strict attention to your affairs. Don't ignore the call of duty. By natural right, the property of the absent belongs to those who are on the spot and the property of the careless to those who can face toil and danger. Guys, fine. Lead, follow, or get out of the way. But we got to have some people. We know the ones that are willing to follow the tyrant. They're out there supporting them all the time. It's not hard to tell who those people are. It's hard to tell who's on this side, though. Because we have very few leaders. We have a lot of people running their mouths. But not many people. Everybody wants to clap and say what a great speech. But ain't many people wanting to use them hands they're using to clap to grab a sword, so to speak. I want you to know and realize that no danger can assail you while you're on your guard. And no success can attend you if you are remiss to it. Guys, come on. What, what made them? Look, listen to what he said. Why, why do we have posters of George Washington and James Madison and Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry and Samuel Adams? Why are my bookshelves filled with the papers of these people? Because I want to know what gave them that courage. Why did I write the Founder's Recipe? Why did I take 20 years of my bleeding life why did I embarrass myself in college to find out these things because I thought man James Madison's just a man George Washington's just a man well if they can do it I can do it and I quickly it quickly came into my head but as he said I'm gonna give credit to God for that putting into my head this notion well maybe if I read what they read I'll be willing to do what they did Maybe I'll be willing to say, you see that? You see that over there? You see that flag flying? That flag that shouldn't be flying over this? That flag comes down tonight or Mrs. Wolverton sleeps a widow. We do that. Once more unto the breach, boys. Once more unto the breach. And if there's few of us good, the greater the share of the glory. How did you do it? Bear this in mind. Some of you have been told. Others know and remember how formidable the British were. And how yet at the call of honor and duty, our fathers played a part not unworthy of their country and entered the list against them in defense of their rights. If they can do it, dadgummit, we can do it. Lead, follow, or get out of the way of those of us willing to face the toil and the danger.
alliance and respect are willingly offered by men to those whom they see ready and prompt to take action. I'm telling you, it's just like in school. I've said that I've used this analogy over and over on this podcast. Get it, take a test, and I've seen it as much as I hated giving tests, I had to do it or get in trouble. You give a test, sit there, you see them kids looking around, you know, knowing they're finished. That first one turns his test in, all of a sudden 20 kids are finished, miraculously, simultaneously. No, they were all finished. They just waited for that first one. Alliance and respect are willingly offered by all men to those whom they see ready and prompt to take action. Be that guy. You want to find out if you're a leader? Be ready and prompt to take action in your town. Let people see, oh my goodness, there is, there are people ready to face toil and danger. There are people ready and prompt to take action. The people will follow you. People will follow you. And then here, look what he says. At present... All of these feelings, you will, listen, let me, okay, just let me read it all. You will consent to become your own masters if each man will, listen, oh my goodness, Demosthenes give me the Holy Ghost up in here. You will become your own masters if each man will cease to expect that while he does nothing himself, his neighbor will do everything. And God willing, then I will recover my liberty. And I will have restored to me what has been frittered away. Not because I did anything, but my neighbor. Surely there are going to be people willing to do it. You will become your own masters if each man will stop expecting that while he does nothing himself, his neighbor will do everything, and then God willing, you will recover your liberty. At present, all of the good feelings have no outlet thanks to your indolence and apathy, which I urge you to throw off at once. Guys, if not now, when? If not us, who? All of these feelings that our ancestors had that gave them the courage to stand out there, man, at 4.30 in the morning with the blood running cold, hearing those steps coming, those boots marching, that fife playing, those drums Knowing those British, see you could see it gleaming in the rays of dawn. What made those dairy farmers stay, stand out there with those guns? What made them do it? This is what made them do it. And we have to get rid of our indolence and apathy. We have to throw it off at once. For observe, men of Athens, 
the height to which the fellow's insolence is sore. Look at what the tyrant, he literally, do you understand? The things they tell us that we just obey, look at the height that his insolence has soared. They reckon they can sit there and teach those things. Why? Teach those things to our children, those lies. Let strangers, people you, oh, well, they're, they may be strangers, but they've got a license. Who gave them that license? Well, the government. Who exactly? Well, the, school, the State Board of Education. Can you tell me the people on that and what they're required? Well, I could look it up. Well, go ahead and look it up. Well, they have to take this test. What's on that test? Well, I don't know. I could look it up. Well, go ahead and look it up. Pretend like you've done that. But look to the insolence. He doesn't even, it's insolence, you see. He knows that, yeah, I want to get rid of the tyrant. I want to restore the Constitution. I want to restore liberty. But I don't want to give up that second car. And I don't want to give up our vacations. And I don't want to have to worry about my kids those extra nine hours a day. So yes, I'm going to surrender them to the indoctrination cancer. But I'll, I'll deprogram them when I get home. How's school? Fine. Off to your, don't, don't forget to do your homework. Okay. Did you do your homework? Yeah. Dinner's an hour. Okay. Can I eat my room? Yeah. What'd you get up to yesterday? Nothing. Okay. That's insolence. Because they know those things are going to happen. And it's like, do you know, there's not a, you don't have to send your kids to school. Don't even, don't even with me. You do not. There is no law in any of the 50 states forcing you to send your kids to that public school. Or that charter school. Or that private school. Where they're teaching all the same things. There's no law. You do it for ease, for, what is it? <clears throat> squeak, squeak, squeak. Indolence and apathy. Look at the insolence. Different thing, not indolence, right? Which means what? Laziness and apathy. You're lazy and you don't care. We, as a society, we're lazy and we don't care. I mean, we care enough to talk about stuff. We don't care enough to do anything about it. And look to the height which the tyrant's insolence has soared. He leaves you no choice but action or inaction. He blusters and talks big, and he will not rest content with what he has already conquered. He always takes in more, everywhere casting his net around us while we sit idly doing nothing guys please in the name of all that you hold holy tell me you recognize please say I'm not the only one that feels this I, I can't we've got to get this into the hands of our students our children our children need to be re stop making it such a, a big deal that they can tell you the genealogy of Harry Potter, man. Stop making it a big deal that they know all the 
Brandon Sanderson universe of care. You know what? There might be time for that. Right now ain't that time. We got to have, things have gone on too far. We need to have our kids reading Cicero, reading Demosthenes, reading Trenchard and Gordon, reading Algernon Sidney. We ain't got time for that rubbish. No, no, ma'am. We do not have time for that. That might be, they might have time for that kind of entertainment when they have kids, but right now, we got to raise our kids on this stuff. We got to get our kids to where they're going to say, no more of this nonsense. I don't know what was wrong with y'all. And remember what he said, we can erase so much of the past if we just act now, act boldly in defense of our liberty or forget the glorious and charming sound. Sound familiar? We just sit idly and do nothing. In your present condition, you will be unable, even if the opportunity were offered, to take back Athens. You have neither a force nor a policy capable of doing that. Guys, everybody loves all the my fellow constitutionalists and conservatives love the Second Amendment. Well, they love one phrase from the Second Amendment and they hate the rest of it. Sorry, I'm going to call you all out because he's sitting here saying, right? He said, what did he say exactly? How did he say it? In your present condition, you'd be unable, even if the opportunity were offered, to take back your liberty, having neither a force nor a policy capable of it. You love, we, we can't, out of my cold, dead hands. They'll take my guns out of my cold, dead hands. Well, first of all, no, you'll hand it to them. 70% of y'all statistically will hand over your weapons. If, the, if Homeland Security came to your door and said, look, we know the weapons you have, we know the ammunition you have, because we've used our, you know, millimeter wave scanner to register how much ammunition is inside your home because it can it can go through three feet of concrete these millimeter wave scanners look it up so we need you to give your give us your weapons and your ammunition and we know how much and we know when you bought them and we know the whole thing or we take them by force and you come to prison to federal prison you're gonna be like look you know what i tried here you go officer so don't say out of my coat, come on. 70% of y'all are going to do it. Now, the part of the Second Amendment that everybody who loves the, the keep and bear arms hates the well-regulated militia. But guess what? The part of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia is necessary to what? The security of a free state. We do not have militias. Do not say the National Guard or Reserves. They are under the command of the President of the United States. Do not say that. We will not ever have forces or policies capable in our present condition. And our founding fathers spelled that out in the Second Amendment. But because of our what? Indolence and apathy and the way anybody can talk big right of people keeping bare arms shall not be infringed it says shall not 
Doesn't say might not, maybe not. It says shall not. They'll take it out of my cold, dead hands. What about the militia part, Slick? You ready, Hoss? You ready to get out here and let's get out in a couple weekends a month? You and the other men in your neighborhood, y'all ready to get out there and form your little militia the way our father? Because we would, we would have the queen on our money if it wasn't for a well-regulated militia up and down the colonies. I'm going to tell you that for free. France wouldn't have been enough if it wasn't for the well-regulated militias that had been practicing by the time the British got there, had been practicing in some cases for 160, 170 years. So it is like he says, I, you know, that's nice, but in our present condition, we wouldn't be able to take the opportunity if it was offered to us. But we don't want to have that conversation that a well-regulated militia is necessary for the security of a free state. i just rather talk about how I'm not going to let the government take my guns. Well, you are, actually, but that's beside the point. For those of you who wouldn't, for those of you who say, well, I guess, you know, Mrs. Wolverton sleeps a widow tonight. Sorry, hon, but I ain't going down like this. I'm not spitting on the graves of my ancestors. You take me, taking me out in a bag. But we, we couldn't even take the opportunity because we don't have. Why do we read one third of the Second Amendment? And get all excited. Because the other part makes us do stuff, man. We're indolent and apathetic. We don't... We just skip right down. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, Joe Biden. Pew, pew. Come at me, Joe. Come for my guns. Well, first of all, I don't think Joe knows what planet he's on. Second... They don't even worry about that because I remember when I spoke at the UN, they just, you know, they say a lot when they think they're around people that agree with them. And they're like, we don't need to go door to door. We can send a letter and get 40% handed in, send another letter, go up to 60, send around Homeland Security or the local police who have been co-opted by Homeland Security. Look it up if you don't believe me, man. If you, every time I see one of those, no, never mind, Joey, just go on. Why don't we read the first part of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state? That's the whole reason we have the right to keep and bear arms, to form our well-regulated militia. And please don't think regulated means, well, the government regulates it, so that's the army, or that's the reserves of the National Guard. No, well-regulated means practiced. Get out there. Man, I remember one of my students saying, I'm moving to Utah, how do I form a militia? I'm like, well, a militia is pretty simple definition, man. It's the young men, you know, the men traditionally from like 14, but I'd say today 17 to 50 that are able to hold weapons. You get out there a couple weekends a month and you practice and you, you have ranks. You practice. You, you, you get yourself well-regulated. You train so then, when opportunities are afforded, we will have a force and a policy capable of restoring our liberty. I know, right now, some of y'all are like, this guy's gone off the edge. Well, that's too bad that you think that. You know what I mean? 
It's not those who cry at once or today that really speak to the purpose, for no dispatch of forces could prevent what's already happening. But it's the man who can indicate the nature, the size, and the source of the expedition that will be able to keep the field until we either defeat the enemy or consent to a termination by him. Saying these things need to be done in a hurry, that's good. But we need people willing to form a force that could be able to keep the field until we defeat the enemy. Now, right now, we have two ways of doing that. We can, all of us who are of a certain age, participate and form and become well-regulated in a militia. That's the first thing we can do. But the second thing we can do, moms, you're not called. Young ladies, you're not called to be in the militia. No way. Because remember what they said about Rome. When the hearth goes out, the republic died years ago. Who keeps the hearth? The wife. Who teaches her daughters to do likewise. Now y'all can turn me off. I don't care. I ain't here to be popular. I'm here to restore what's been lost. So moms, young women, you are not called to the militia. But you are called to be the primary teachers of your children and your siblings. So you can have the young men, the older men, out becoming well-regulated in a force, a fighting force, but you can prepare that next generation by teaching them these principles. That's your call. That is your calling. That's your responsibility. It doesn't mean that, oh, I guess I don't have anything to do because the men are supposed to take up arms. But you take those babies up in your arms and teach them these principles, these timeless truths of liberty. And by the time they're old enough, like Sidney said, by the time they're old enough to bear their own testimony, they will stand up and they will rid themselves of kings and tyrants. And then we will speak their name for as long as liberty lasts. That's Colonel Sidney, not me. All right. I've gone on and on, haven't I? Let's skip to uh, On the Peace, and then we'll finish up. On the Peace. Not only have we suffered serious losses which cannot be mended by fine speeches, but also there is a complete divergence of opinion about preserving what is left. For all other people deliberate before the event, but we seem to deliberate after it. If you will consent, now listen guys, this right here, this is what we need to hear. If you will consent to still the noise of faction and listen with attention that befits men who are debating the most important interests of the state, I will be able to offer you advice which will ameliorate our present condition and redeem our past losses. I am aware that it has become very profitable for some people to talk to this country about what is wrong. I feel that that is vulgar and offensive. It is very trifling gains to commit those serious errors. 
Now he goes and he says, let me turn to it. He says, I think we ought so to act as to do nothing unworthy of Athens. We ought to show to all men our good sense and the justice of our claims. Let's make sure that we do this the American way. Okay, we don't send flying robots overseas to blow up people who happen to be Muslim and say bad things about America. That ain't the American way. We, we don't do things that way. You come over here doing things, you have a problem. But let's do, let's show all people, right? Let's, we ought to be able to show all men our good sense and the justice of our claims. We should have more people fighting for our liberty than we do. We should have, we should see the public schools unable to carry on because of how few, if we took every conservative, every constitutionalist, every friend of liberty, every patriot that says, I, I am sick of what, how this society is becoming, sick of the perversion they teach, sick of the lies they teach about our history. If all those people took their kids out of public school, can you imagine the renaissance, the rebirth? We would have, we would have so many people ready to fight for the restoration of our liberty. You know, we have so many people willing to make money off of telling us what's wrong. And gosh, when you think about it, that it's just, and he says, I find that, what is he, what else he said? I find that vulgar and so offensive. But he says, I'm not going to pass over in silence. I'm going to speak out boldly. No matter what it costs, right? No matter what it costs. I, I think, you know, just these, we ought to act and do nothing unworthy of Athens. We ought to show all men our good sense and the justice of our claims. Show them that liberty is the tide that lifts all boats. I don't, it doesn't care about race. It doesn't care about gender. It doesn't care about socioeconomic class. It doesn't care about what job you have. It doesn't care about anything like that. Liberty is the tide that lifts all boats. Federal, this country's government was established so that every little republic in it in this confederation of republics could be a laboratory of liberty. You want to have your stuff, do that, and you'll draw all people to you that want that kind of life. Then we'll do it our way. We won't fight, right? And matter of fact, at the end of the day, we'll want to defend each other because we want to keep doing things the way that makes it, the way I want to do it, the way my people want to do it, the way y'all want to do it. We'll fight together against a common enemy. If that common enemy comes and says, yeah, we're just going to erase these lines and make us all one big country and we're going to put one government over it all and one law for all y'all, we will stand up and fight against that because 
I don't agree with anything those people say or do, and I don't like their way of life. But if you do away with theirs, you're doing away with mine. So, hey, purple hair, let's go. Me and you, buddy. We, that will happen. That will happen. All right, I'm going to close it down. I'm going to read to you from the third Philippic. Let me make sure. Let me make sure I didn't have anything in the... Did I want to say something from the second Philippic, or did I just skip over that? I want to make sure I didn't have anything... Yeah, I want to read this from the second Philippic, and then we'll end. Second Philippic. There's one common bulwark, one common protection against the instinct of sin. Uh, against there is one common bulwark which the instinct of sensible men possess within itself, a good and safe one for all, but invaluable for commonwealths against tyrants. So there is a bulwark that we have by nature, that good, sensible men possess by nature, that is a good and safe protection and invaluable when it comes to protecting a republic against tyrants. And what is that bulwark? Mistrust. Do not believe anything that someone who wants power so badly they're willing to pay millions to obtain it. Don't believe a word they say. They will lie to you. If someone wants power so badly, they give up time and money to obtain that power. That's the last person we want to have power. What is this defense, this invaluable defense against tyranny? Mistrust. Guard and hold fast to that, he says. If you preserve that, no harm can touch you. What is your object, I said. Freedom, you answered. Then do you not see that Philip's very titles are utterly irreconcilable with that? Every king, every despot, is the sworn foe of freedom. Beware, said I, lest seeking to be rid of war, you find yourselves with a master. If you have ears to hear, you understand. I'm not going to explain that to you. Beware. Lest seeking to be free of war, you find yourselves with a master. Guard, Guard that mistrust with all you have. Do not believe them. Every king, every despot is the sworn foe of freedom. These people paying millions for power. You think they care about you? That's 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 adorable. You know. They don't care about you. They don't care about you. They are the sworn foe of freedom. And you, I don't, I don't want to have to fight for this. Well, it's fine. You don't have to. But in your effort to not have a war. You find yourself 
you find yourself with a master. Congratulations, you didn't, congratulations, you didn't have to go to war. You had peace. Reminds me of what Tacitus said about Rome. They go in, they create desolation, and they say, but see, it's peaceful. We're not at war. No, because you just destroyed everything. Right, but, but we're not at war with you. You have peace. They create desolation and call it peace. Third Philippic, and then we're up. For though the state of our affairs is in every way deplorable, and though much has been sacrificed, nevertheless it is possible, if you choose to do your duty, that all may yet be repaired. The worst feature of the past is our best hope for the future. All your affairs have gone wrong because you are neglecting your duties, large and small. It is your indifference and your carelessness that has led to Philip conquering you. He has not conquered your city. He has conquered you. Who is it that imposes on you with the name of peace, but indulges in acts of war? And if he does that, what is left to us but to defend ourselves? Reminds me of Patrick Henry, right? Men cry peace, but what peace? Those are ship those are warships I see out there. Those are cannon I hear in Boston. Boston's occupied militarily. Those are warships in Philadelphia. Those are cannon we hear. They say they want peace, but uh boy, it sure likes sure looks like they're coming here for war. In heaven's name, is there any intelligent man who would let words rather than deeds decide the question of who is at peace and who is at war with him? Well, we're at peace. Okay. We have a republic. Okay. Our constitution is still functioning. Okay. Tyrants always say, I'm at peace with those willing to obey me. I'm just reading to you from the third, third Philippic, y'all. Right? I'm trying to get, I took my bookmark out, and now I don't know where the final little thing that I wanted to read y'all is. So I'm going to have to find it. Just stay with me. I mean, every page, I literally could read you something from every page of this. Now I'm going to have to find where I, where I put that thing. All right, here we go. You ready? We're going to wrap it up now. He who makes and devises ways to capture me is at war with me, whether he's never thrown a javelin or shot an arrow at me. You take my liberty. You even make plans to take my liberty, and you're at war with me. You make policies that destroy in any way my life, liberty, or property, then you and I are at war, and I don't care if you've never fired a shot. So here we go. Last thing for today, and wrap it up, and you can go and tell people how what a psychopath you listen to today on a podcast.
I say that you'll be wise if you defend yourselves now. But if you let the opportunity pass, you won't be able to act, even when you finally desire to do so. God bless all of your righteous endeavors, and may our liberty be restored sooner rather than later. And may our children never have to wade through seas of blood to do what we could have done ourselves on their behalf. Thank you, guys. Thank <laughs> you.